If you are a fan of the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast and would like to help support the show, there's a great way that you can do that and start a new fashion trend. We have a new merchandise page on the website which features t-shirts and hoodies that are available for sale on Amazon. Just click on merchandise in the top menu and all of the links will be there or go directly to divebarrockstar.com slash merchandise. Get started early on your Christmas shopping at divebarrockstar.com. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. I am really excited today because we have another bona fide rock star on the podcast, an all-star, I guess you could say. Um, And we also get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is songwriting. And we haven't really been able to delve that far into that yet here on the on the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. Um, so it's and it's a topic that I really love talking about. It's it's something that I've worked really hard for the course of my career to become better at. And so it's always uh, a joy and a privilege to talk to someone who has written huge hits that have impacted all of our lives. And my guest today is an incredible songwriter who's written some of my favorite hits from the late 90s and the 2000s. You might recognize a few titles like Walking on the Sun, When the Morning Comes, Pacific Coast Party, and the monster hit All-Star from his former band, Smash Mouth. He was a founding member, the guitar player, and the main songwriter for the band. He also put out a solo record called Defector in 2008 that has recently been re-released on all of the streaming platforms. Um, He's had his music in countless movies and TV shows, including Shrek, Family Guy, Half-Baked, The Simpsons, Dancing with the Stars, Kissing Booth 1 and 2, and he recently scored his first horror film called Diary, D-I-E-R-Y, which is out now. He also has a really cool band with his wife called The Selectrics, so there's all kinds of stuff to check out on Spotify or wherever you stream. He's an unbelievably talented and creative guy, and he's really cool. So uh, please enjoy my conversation with Greg Camp. So, of course, you were the founding member of the band Smash Mouth. Yep. And uh, played guitar and the main um, songwriter. And was the the band formed when you joined? Because I I heard you say in another interview that you didn't have anything to do with the name. Yeah, I mean, it's it was basically these two guys, you know, um, Steve Harwell and the original drummer Kevin Ionello, and they they did all kinds of funny things to make quick money, you know, uh, so, some of them not so legal, <laughs> and. They just, you know, they're like, okay, we've tried all these other things, you know, stealing stuff and selling stuff and blah, blah, blah. And, and um, you know, Steve had a short um, hip hop 
career. He was a rapper, um, actually got himself a record deal and any, everything, you know. And so he proved that he could do that without any like real musical experience. And, in, and so he just decided he wanted to put a band together, like an alternative rock band. But he needed a guitarist and someone to write songs because he couldn't write songs. And, um, and so they sort of like came looking for that, like in the club scene in San Jose. And they found me and basically, you know, uh, forced me to be in the band. Otherwise, I don't know what would have happened. You know, <laughs> they, they were scary guys, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so, and it was fun. They were just, they were fun people and they're, they're super dangerous and it was, it was fun for me, you know? And I never thought that it would get as far as it did. It's just, you know, you never, you just never know. Right. So, I mean, that, that's really how it formed, but yeah, they had the name Smash Mouth already in place. And I brought my friend, Paul Delisle, the bass player. And then we were four and, you know, we started recording and write, writing and recording. And, um, back then we were friends with a little known guy named Carson Daly, ah. who, who was a radio DJ at a station in San Jose called KOME. And, um, K rock ended up buying KOME or they were like a sister station with, uh, uh, clear channel or something. And so he was playing us on the radio, you know, it was one of those like classic things where he would like lock the door and we would be smoking cigarettes and drinking beer and playing our music on the radio on a big radio station, wow. you know, program directors go, you know, banging on the door, like what the F are you doing in there? You know? <laughs> and, and then, and then he got moved to K rock and he basically took us with him and, you know, it was like the next day we had a record deal. You know? wow. It wasn't supposed to happen, basically. It just did, you know? Right. Yeah, because it doesn't seem like you guys did the thing where you played a bunch of shows and you built a following. You just no. kind of had a... So by the time you started touring, like what kind of conditions are you touring? Do you have a bus at this point? Or you, you didn't have to go through the we're in a van kind of thing? Or did you still... In the very beginnings, you know, we did like, you know, drive in like our parents' minivan down to... Los Angeles and play, you know, <laughs> the eight, eight o'clock slot or like the midnight slot at like coconut teaser, or, you know, right. with, you know, like one of these places that it's just a shittiest spot ever. Mm. And, you know, you play like for, you know, 10 people and try to get, get some music heads in there and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we did that sort of thing, but we never had a, a, a real following. In fact, most people hated us in San Jose and, and as soon as we got a record deal, boy, those the local bands just they they despised us they're like how you know we've been trying to do this for 20 years man you know and right all of a sudden we're you know that but yeah we did jump from you know parents minivan to prevo you know <laughs> but quickly we didn't have to we didn't have to tour in a in a van with a u-haul or anything like that ever you know wow That's i know amazing. It's like privilege, <laughs> privilege band guys, you know. Right, right. Well, and you know, because Steve, obviously a great salesperson, he was very, very good at that, which every band needs, you know. Well, that's that's the lead singer. It's like I mean, that's their gig, that's their job. They're that's they're so good at it. That's why we love them, and you know, they're yeah. that's what they're good at. <laughs> and had you so you had been songwriting before in other bands before you got. Yeah. I mean, forever, you know, I mean, um, 
you know, since high school, you know, I was always in bands like cover bands and original bands. There's always both, you know, the cover band was paying the bills. Oh. The original band was, was paying the soul, you know, right. and, um, just writing songs. And in fact, the song, you know, Smash Mouth's very first hit was written for the band before Smash Mouth and, that I was in. And um, ah. the, so- the song just didn't fit with the band and, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't accept it or whatever. And so it just kind of sat on a cassette in a shoebox in my closet until the drummer of Smash Mouth, you know, said, hey, what's that? And I'm like, oh, there's just some old songs, you know, that mm-hmm. nobody likes. He's like, well, let me listen to it. And he pulled that one. And, and then uh, that was that. So. And that's Walking on the Sun? Yes. That's so interesting because, you know, you guys were kind of a ska punk band, kind of with the, the exception of that song in a way. It still didn't fit in, really. You know? <laughs> yeah, it, it was very strange. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> But another thing that wasn't really supposed to be, you know, we were going down this down this road of like just aggressive, you know, punk pop, you know, with a ska thing to it or something, and uh, and then that song just kind of fell out of nowhere, and so we basically just sort of went, well, I guess we better do that, <laughs> you know. Right. So the second album sounds a little more like that, yeah. Right, which is. Interesting, because I already think, like, when you listen to it, it's like, already you were taking all the elements of what was popular with the punk and the pop punk and, and the ska thing, and you already had kind of this unique thing, and then it was like, oh, wait, here's a whole different left turn, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, and then, you know, with the producer, Eric Valentine, you know, it's like, he really kind of made everything cohesive at that point, you know? Yeah. Even though people did buy the record from that song, and when they got the record, they're like, "What's this?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> we want more. We want more. Walking on the suns, you know. And so, you know, we had to. <laughs> yeah. The, the what do you call it? The um, the suggestion box filled up quickly. You know, we're like, okay, all right, we got it, we got it. Right. So, and how much of the sound of that was Eric Valentine, like versus your original demo of that, like the vibe. Uh, a, a lot was Eric, you know, it's like, I mean, but the thing about Eric was he, he definitely saw the vision, you know, and, you know, I was the only one that was actually recording music at that point in the band, you know, nobody else, they're just kind of playing their instruments, but I was writing and recording stuff in my bedroom. I'd always done that since high school. And so he basically took the demos, you know, that I was, that I'd already recorded and just sort of realized them and, just said, okay, this song, I hear your concept, but we need to, we need to really realize this concept and, you know, make it sound like that for real, you know? Gotcha. He's a very big part of the sound, obviously, you know, he's the fifth, the fifth guy of the band, you know? And where did that song come from? It was actually just a little bit after like the Rodney King stuff that was happening and um, just all this, the social stuff that, that's just, it's, it's always happening. It's always there but it was televised and it was huge. And um, there was a lot of tension, a lot of racial tension and, um, you know, just a lot of lines were drawn. And that song was basically just written about that time that, that had happened like, you know, a year or two before the band, that band that I was in. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's like we need to get our shit together or, 
or you know we might as well be walking in the sun i guess you know like just yeah. i don't know really know what i was going for back then but <laughs> looking back i'm pretty sure that's what i meant you know yeah well it makes it a you know unfortunately a timeless concept yeah it, it has come up a few times you know people are like wow it's like that was almost like a prediction i'm like it wasn't a prediction it's happened many many times in the history of humans you know <laughs> right so, so then at that point they must have been like okay we need a dozen more walking on the suns for this next record and at that point did it start to feel like okay now i'm a songwriter like i have a job to do i've literally got to like recreate this and did it become more of a job at that point than just you know it's more fun to just be like i'm gonna write whatever i want now it's like no i kind of have to deliver another record that's going to be like this and yeah i mean Yes, but it, it, it became the job that I'd always wanted. And so it didn't, I would never call it a job. You know what I mean? I would call it, that's my role in the band. You know, it's like, it's my role to, you know, to make sure that this keeps on going. And, you know, that's, I'm like the ingredient of the band for that thing, you know? And so, yeah, I had to, you know, I had to basically concoct an entire body of work you know for the second record that revolved around that sound that had been successful for us and so obviously I had to get eric valentine on board um i i think what we did was we rented a house up in the mountains and um in the garage we kind of built it out to be a rehearsal space and a little spot in the corner for me to record and my ideas and write and stuff like that and I just did that for, you know, I can't remember how many months, but maybe like six months after the tour. I started writing on the tour, but once we got off, you know, I needed to kind of lock myself in a room and, and figure it out, you know, so. Right. You know, the, the whole 60s thing that we, that, that happened with Walking on the Sun, you know, that, that is something that Eric Valentine and I, that's our, that's our jam. You know what I mean? We loved we would just sit around and listen to records and go, oh man, it'd be so cool to make something like that, like that Burt Bacharach song or that zombie song right. or, you know, monkeys or, you know, whatever. And so we just like listened to a ton of records and just sort of started going, all right, let's, let's do this. Let's make a pop record, a, a modern pop album that has a lot of these elements and let's have fun with it. He already had, really super cool old vintage gear and it was easy to recreate a lot of the tones that we were looking for and we just needed the songs you know and so again i had this little eight track digital eight track thing and i was using breakbeat records so i had a turntable oh. and uh you know a bass and a guitar and a casio keyboard and i basically wrote the whole record like that with those instruments oh. and took that uh recorder to eric valentine's studio and we plugged it in and we just created sessions and basically replaced the stuff that didn't work or needed to be you know updated sonically and we just that's what that's how we did it the record was kind of already recorded once and then we basically it's like tracing paper you know what i mean <laughs> right it was there we just made it better you know that's cool. So you used those demo elements that you had already done that they end up on the record. A lot of the stuff, yeah. 
So was this the first time, like in your other bands, were you writing for the band or were you singing lead? Because I know you sing as well. Um, was this the first time you're writing for another lead singer? Yeah, I guess it was. You know, I mean, in the, like I said, in the band before this one, um, there were two singers and I was one of them. And so I would write my parts and he would write his parts. So, you know, that was kind of what it was. But yeah, in this, in this one, definitely writing for another singer. This was the first time, I think. And was that, that an adjustment? It was because he, like I said, you know, he, he and the drummer weren't necessarily musically inclined before this all happened. And so, you know, I couldn't write, you know, intricate melodies and things like that, you know, or get too, too far ahead of what, where he was, you know? Right. And which worked out great because it's a lot easier to, uh, I don't know about you. I mean, it's like uh, you write great songs, you know, and your songs are very melodic. And well, thank you. If you yeah. <laughs> they also have a, a simplicity to them. And sometimes I just kind of get a little too crazy to the point where it's, it's not cool. It's pretty uncool. You know, it's <laughs> almost, it's almost muso and I don't know. It just gets too much. You know, it's like, I love Burt Backrack and I love Elvis Costello and I love these really melodic motherfuckers, but they have a place and Smash Mouth wasn't the place to be writing like that. And so I had to really simplify the melodies and stuff and it worked out to my favor and to everyone's in favor of everyone. You know, it's just, it's simple, but it has some, there's some stuff behind it. You know, there's some, a lot of melodic stuff and a lot of weird chords and interesting things that happened. But at the same time, your normal average jock could hum along to it, you know? Right. <laughs> so, so do you, so, think that, you think that made you a better writer in the end? I, I think it taught me how to, yeah. how to relax a little bit and just, you know, you, you were not, this is not Beethoven, dude, <laughs> you know, like don't trip out. And this is not, Shakespeare, you know, people want to be able to wrap their head around it without hurting themselves. And, you know, so yeah, it made me, and I'm not saying I'm some like genius or smarter or anything like that, but I just really gravitate towards very melodic stuff. You know, Elton John, for instance, you know, it's incredibly melodic and very hard to pull off, you know, yeah. Bernie top Bernie Taupin is, is a wordsmith. And so Right. I, I enjoy doing that and listening to that, but for Smash Mouth, it really needed to kind of come down a little bit, you know. Well, I'm a huge fan of your writing, so I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. But I, I love it. I don't. I think it's cool. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Because also harmonically, you like to go places. You know, that, that's kind of a that's where you leave pop. You know, as soon as you change keys for the pre-chorus or something, you know what I mean? And, right. But it makes it so interesting to listen to. It's just ear candy, you know, but. I, I love left turns. And lately, you know, in music in the last few years, there have been so many nice left turns and I, I'm loving it, you know. I've been kind of just um, listening to Defector all day and I just, I, I can't <laughs> stop listening to some of those, those tunes. Just speaking of left turns, it's like, it's just ear candy. It's so, there's so much going on and it's, it's so, uh, so cool that um zombies on parade oh yeah uh, i just can't stop listening to it plus that major seven harmony just kind of like oh man it just uh 
Well, maybe we could talk about that record in a minute. But anyway, I, I thought that that's pretty interesting because it, it does sort of force you to stay in, in bounds, which is what I kind of enjoy about writing pop songs is all the rules, but not always. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's fun to just do whatever. But in the other times, it's like, it's like a puzzle. How do I make this cool yet stay within the lines? You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like the parameters are there and the formula is there and it works. And so... Yeah. Don't don't change it too much, you know. Right. Yeah. Arrangement-wise, you know, it's like that that that's been a very difficult thing to try to um fit into the way things are arranged these days, you know. It's like, you know, there was a time when there was this uh arrangement formula and you know, there's like an intro and a and a verse and a pre and a chorus and a little spot between the next verse and, you know, and a solo or melodic set, you know, now it's like chorus, 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 chorus. (laughs) And you you have to do that. It's like, I remember when that, when that arrangement um, blueprint started and I was like, why would they waste five choruses on one song when they could have had a whole record full of hits, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Is crazy, and the other thing that that blows my mind and is so refreshing when I when you know look at your credits or like look at your songs. Now there's like six to eight, nine writers on these songs that have three choruses or whatever. You look at your big hits, and it's just Greg Camp. And that was odd too. I, I remember when that started happening. You know, we would go to like the BMI awards, and I would be standing up there. You know, just me and somebody you know whoever was talking about the award right and then i then i'd go sit down and and up for best you know country song or whatever and there would be like 15 people up there and i'd be like wait like did they like bring their friends or something is that is that an entourage right is that a posse posse? what's going on here you know they're like no every single one of those people wrote this song i'm like oh uh, okay (laughs) i just i didn't get it but now, now i mean it's totally normal now yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I think, I mean, you guys were, were like the end of the nineties too. And like the nineties was the last big time of the music industry in a way, right? Like it's, people were still buying records and you, you know, you could still purchase music, you know, and, and uh, it was still sort of the, the end of the old school way of doing everything. I know. It's like, I mean, we were, I, I thank my lucky stars all the time in, you know, and when I talked to Paul Delisle, the bass player for Smash Mouth, um, we are con- we are constantly like v- we're just very thankful that we got up through that kind of like that hole in the clouds you know before it closed you know and we did sell a bunch of records physical records and people did listen to more than one song you know yeah we we just feel very fortunate and blessed to have been there for that you know in in the very last of one of those bands that did that you know and do you miss i know you've been putting out singles here and there but you also write for tv and film a lot and do you miss um writing a record versus singles yeah and funny you should mention (laughs) (laughs) um so you know just over you know especially in the last you know year or whatever since we've been sort of locked down it's like accumulating songs and i and i will put something out and um that's kind of why I re-released Defector. You know, I, in fact, I didn't even realize that it wasn't out. I just thought, uh, I just thought it was out. And nobody cared. 
you know? <laughs> and so when I lo- went to look for it and I'm like, oh, no one can get it. And so I, I just put it out myself, you know? But same, same thing. It's like, I mean, I thought about it, you know, it's like, I, I really do just want to put out like an EP, you know, I'm not going to bore people with, you know, 12 songs or 18 songs. I'll just do like four or five. But, you know, I think that there's a couple batches of those ready to be released. And so I'm going to do that pretty quick here. Very cool. Well, I'm excited. Me too. <laughs> so are you still working with smash mouth from time to time i know they just put out the acoustic version of uh of which uh for shumang shumang yeah i guess i've never yeah. said that out loud <laughs> but anyway it's, yeah um yeah they they sort of like every once in a while you know they'll say hey we're gonna go do this do you want to be a part of it you know and just depending on what it is you know and that was one of the things you know the acoustic record they're like we're going to re-record the first record on acoustic guitars and i'm like you're crazy (laughs) and they're like well do you want to do it i'm like you know at first i was kind of not really because that's that's a dumb idea you know (laughs) and and they're like well we're just going to get someone else to play on it then i'm like okay now i got to do it you know because i mean i wanted i wanted if they were going to do it i wanted to at least take a stab at you know bashing those punk rock songs out on acoustic guitar you know Right. You know, which we used to do it at radio, you know, like, you know, you've done those radio morning shows where you, mm-hmm. you probably bring an acoustic bass and just, you know, yeah. go through the songs, you know? Yeah. And so we'd done it before. It just never really sounded very cool. And so anyway, um, yeah, so I did that record with them and then I did go back and play with them, um, a couple times, few, you know, for a few stints, you know, but you know, I'd rather just kind of hang out and then COVID happened. And so that was that. So, right. But it's nice that, uh, you know, it's something that you can pop in and out of and, you know, it's not, uh, cause you know, bands, they're tricky and these guys were your friends and, you know, it's like having a marriage of four people, five people, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's good that you yeah, can, I mean, you're at least it, on speaking terms and you can go in and out and, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, Paul and I are we are lifelong friends, um, bass player. Um, we even if sometimes we don't agree on stuff, or if there's some sort of like legal crap that goes on still to this day between you know me being separated from the band and some of the things that come up, you know, it's like Paul and I still will will put our friendship above that and put the legal shit aside and. You let, let the, the adults hash through it, right. you know, but, um, but he's really, you know, as far as, um, like the original members of that band, you know, it's the only one that I really stay in contact with. So you, uh, a big fan of the Fender jazz master. Absolutely. And that, that's kind of your signature sound. <laughs> like how, how did that come about? When did you ha- get your first Fender jazz master? It's funny because I, I was always kind of like into strats, you know, uh-huh. yeah. and all, mainly because it's just all I ever had when growing up playing, you know, I just, I had one and I just never uh, strayed from it very much. And every time I did, it was just like, oh my God, it's like trying to relearn how to play guitar or something. It's just, I, I don't know my way around and it's hard and, you know, or Gretches were too big or I've, 
you know, I love the way these other guitars sounded, but I was just lazy, I think. Yeah. And I remember I bought a jazz master and I tried so hard to make, to get the sound out of that thing that I was hearing other people get. Right. And I ended up, ended up selling it, getting rid of it. And then, um, Fender, you know, I got a sponsorship or an endorsement with Fender and they're like, what would be your guitar, your ultimate guitar? You know, if we were to build one for you in the custom shop and I'm like, God dang it. I want a jazz master with this, <laughs> these kind of pickups and this sort of configuration and that color and blah, blah, blah. And they made me one and it just, that's when, when it all turned around. I'm like, okay, wow. this is going to work. This is going to work. Because before that, with Smash Mouth, I played a Moserite, like an old 64, oh. 64 yeah. Moserite um, Dentures 2, which was like a shorter scale thing. Right. And that thing, that thing just had the brattiest, snottiest sound. And so that's what I played with the band. Gotcha. But I couldn't keep that thing in one piece on tour. It just kept falling apart. It was very, uh, I don't know, it was so old and it, it had been played to hell. Yeah. And so that's when they made me the guitar and that, that's when I switched. And now I just play stock jazz masters. There's nothing special about them, just American-made jazz masters. Yeah, Mo's right. That's that's the sound. That's like that's what made that original sound. You know, that's, that's it cool. is. I mean, yeah, the whole first record was was the Mo's right, and even the second record had a bunch of Mo's right on it. But you know, like since I since I messed my hand up, I'm out here, and the only thing, the only guitar that I have is this classical, this nylon string classical, and then and so I haven't played an electric guitar in like five months. You know, my lovely dog, um, was running after somebody or some dog or something like that. And I tried to grab her as she was running full speed past me Uh and my, my finger got caught in her collar and ripped my left pink, basically just ripped it to pieces. My left, on my left hand, the moneymaker, my guitar playing hand. And how is it playing? I mean, is it, is it going to get back to normal? Is everything working right? And as far as yeah. I mean, I had a pin going through the finger and I had a button holding the tendon in and all oh kinds of, gosh. <laughs> it, it, yeah, my, my dog, she did a, did a number on it. And, um, and so I am now, I don't know if you can see, I like about a month ago, I, I could only close my hand about that much. And now, wow. and now it's like, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. You know? yeah, this, yeah. This, these two fingers are. Yeah, I'm pointing at my pinky and my ring finger aren't right. aren't all the way back 100%, but very close. Wow. So, and they will be. So. Yeah, and it's still everything works, though, right? Everything works. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny because I don't, I don't know if you've ever not played for a period of time, and those calluses go away. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is the most I've not played in in 30 years, literally. And I had, I did a session the other day. It's, we, I did a cover of long train running, uh, nice. that that's going to come out probably in the next week with a friend of mine, Walter, you know, and, um, I, I did, I probably did four takes and my fingers were just shredded. Just dust. <laughs> you know, plus, I, plus I've been playing with Dwight for three years, three and a half years using a pick. So uh-huh. 
So my right hand just, I don't have the calluses were gone anyways. You know, I had a little bit left that I could almost get through a gig and now right. everything's gone, you know? So right. it's, uh, it's, it it's, took me three days just for the blister to go down. You know, it's like being in high school again. I know. And then you're like yelling at yourself, you know, you're like, dang it. Like I'm better than this. You know, it's like, I know. yeah. You yeah. know, the one thing about that though, um, is that before, you know, before the accident, my accident, I would never just like pick up a guitar for the hell of it and start playing. Mm-hmm. And when I couldn't play anymore, my perspective was like, you know, totally changed. And so now I just, I want to play. I love playing again. Yeah. You know, it's just, I got to build that up so it doesn't hurt anymore. But it's like, it's like when you first learn how to play, do you remember how much it hurt? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm remembering now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So when you play, when you play with Dwight, um, does he prefer that you use a pick? Yes. Yeah. Every song. Every song a pick. So and on a you know Fender Jazz through a, a basement amp with the, the bass on three. So I'm basic I kind of think of myself more as a baritone guitar player because uh-huh. it's a lot of high end, a lot of mid-range, not much low end. Uh, you know, in the house it sounds different. Yeah, right, uh, yeah. The sound guy out front has has the bottom end going, but on stage it's it's a lot of a lot of uh, mid-range, you know. Yeah. Which is well, something I, mean, I never really did before I got the gig. I mean, I would play a pick occasionally on a session or something, but it wasn't my thing at all. Um, yeah. So now I feel like I, I can do anything, you know, <laughs> with a pick because I've had, I've just had to, you know. So it's, right. I'm glad. Do you, do you have a, a like a um, uh, a bass six or any of those Fender, a baritone bass or anything or a guitar? No. Um, in fact. I don't even have vintage. I'm not like the vintage guy. For a long time, I was an R&B player. So in the R&B and smooth jazz and stuff, it's like cutting edge, new sounding bass with a great sound. And that's, it becomes your sound. Right, you know, when yeah. I get into more into country and rock, it's like, no, you have to have like 20 basses in case they want a Rickenbacker sound or, a, <laughs> you know, flat wounds or round wounds, you know. So um, I'm kind of catching up on, on that. Um, but so mainly, and and I play five string all the time. Right. I have a five string P bass. That's about four years old and a Mm -hmm. five string jazz bass. That's, um, ah, that one's probably close to 10 years old. So that's vintage. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And other than that, I have like a modulus that's, I don't know, 20 years old probably, but it's not, you know, it's a very particular sound graphite neck, you know, it's not something you're going to play on a smash mouth record for instance you know, right, you know what right, I mean? yeah. um but yeah i'm kind of I kind of got all brand new stuff you know but i but at the same time i love the vintage sound and i'm just starting to get into it anyways like maybe in the last five years and then you know i thought that the high-end bases were expensive if you want to go find a, a 72p base or something it's it's gonna cost you astronomical man yeah. I know before the internet, I remember like, I mean, it, I remember being on tour, like for the first couple tours and like going to pawn shops and finding the greatest stuff, you know? And now that you just, that's just not even a thing anymore. They're, everyone knows what they have and they know how much it's worth. And yeah. those days are gone. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I know you through Mitch Marine, who's the drummer for Dwight. And, uh, you know, he played with Smash Mouth. That's how you guys know each other, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And uh, so he was a bass player for a minute. And then yeah, he kind of, and he's kind of stopped doing it. And he had his 74P sitting in his, I think it's a 74, uh, sitting in his closet. So he's like, hey, man, I don't use this if you want to, you know, just take it. And wow. I plug it in and it's like, oh, Oh, that like, <laughs> it sounds so good. So now I'm kind of obsessed with that, and I use that on the, you know, depending on the track, obviously. But, but um, so now I'm a little. Now I want like three of those, so I can put all kinds of different strings on them, and and yeah, well, I don't know. Once COVID gets over and I can get back to work, maybe I'll have a <laughs> an opportunity, a, a little co- collection of stuff with like weird flat wounds and rubber strings <laughs> and all kind of weird stuff. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I'm a star. I have to confess something. I I love books, but I I don't love reading, and it's it's been something that I've I've wrestled with since I was a kid. I, you know, I, I can read. I have read books, but they're very time consuming, and I've spent most of my time trying to build a music career, <laughs> which takes a lot of time. But one thing I definitely do a lot of is drive in LA traffic on my way to a gig. And there's a solution that combines those two situations, and that's called Audible.com. Audible has thousands of audiobook titles, and you can listen offline anywhere, anytime. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And they have just a ton of music-related titles, like All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman, How Music Works by David Byrne, or Music Production Secrets by Calvin Carter. And you can get a free 30-day trial right now if you visit audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. That's audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road. Uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast... All you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. Let's talk about songwriting for a while, for a minute, because you... You're you're writing a lot still, right? What is your mm-hmm. process like? It's different every time, I guess. You know, it's like sometimes, you know, a lot of stuff just comes like first thing in the morning, you know, first thoughts um, before I get, you know, bombarded by kids and, you know, whatever else, you know, business or whatever. It's like I love to like escape or, you know, get on my bike or go for a walk or get in the car and just kind of let everything process. Right. Um, and that's where most of the ideas come, you know, my phone is jam packed full of those little ideas. And so I, I usually just do that. And then, you know, like right about this time of night, you know, it's about 11 o'clock for me or 1030 or something for me here on the yep. East coast is when, you know, I'll go through those ideas and just see if anything's sticking with me. And, you know, if, if they survived the day, if the idea survived the day. You know, it's like, then I normally know, or if it's still in my head, I go, uh, there's something there. I'm going to, I better go, uh, at least try to get something going with that, you know? And so usually it's music. It's 
a lot of beats come to my head before anything. You know, I'll be, I'll just have a groove or something and it just go on from that. And then, um, here's a weird thing that I've, I've been bringing up a lot lately is the lyric, the, the, uh, writing lyric process mm-hmm. is something that I'm just, I'm terrified of it. And it's always like, I'm just, I don't want to, I just don't want to, I don't know what to write, you know? Mm-hmm. And as soon as I sit down with a good old fashioned pencil and a piece of paper, I can't stop. I just keep going. And then I go, Oh yeah, I like doing this. You know, I, why <laughs> am I afraid of this? And, but I never remember that when I don't know why it's just the weirdest thing. And, um, I love writing lyrics, but I, I just, I'm normally afraid to start doing it, but once I start, I just, I don't stop. Wow, so interesting. And I think that's primarily my process right there. I have an idea in the morning. If it sticks with me, I'll hum it throughout the day and maybe kind of work on it a little bit. But at nighttime, I'll sit down and like really try to flesh it out. And so how often do you do that every day? Just about, yeah. That's cool. So you've always got a can of songs. So yeah, I mean, jar, a jar of songs sitting on the, on the table. Um, yeah, most of them turds. And, <laughs> but, if, you know, I always wondered about that, like back in the day, you know, like the Brill building, you know, I wonder how many times those guys just, well, we, we have to write a bunch of turds to come up with one amazing thing, you know, and how you can't just sit down and write like one great song a year without writing a bunch of shitty ones, you know, yeah. you, you kind of have to, you have to do it, you know. It's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a, an exercise or something, you know? Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that when they, that's the problem that a, a lot of young writers have. I think they think everything that they do is amazing. Yeah, probably. When 98% of it is, is not going to go anywhere. You know, it's like, keep writing, get, yep, keep going. Yep. The right. Next- or just have the, have the, you know, the, the, you know, like these days, like, I don't know if you, yeah, I know you have been in these situations where you're like in a, in a writer think tank or whatever, when there's a couple songwriters and a producer who's back there ticking away and making beats and stuff. And then the artist and, (laughs) you know, they really rely on that guy back there making beats and ticking away and the artist to shine that turd up, you know, (laughs) to make it work. And and it, it, you can shine any, anything these days, you know, everything. I mean, you listen to the radio. Yeah. No offense. No offense, pop people, but wow. Right. <laughs> you sure. You sure <laughs> tricked a lot of people. You know. Yeah, it's it's easy to get dark and start sounding old. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> but then you you know and yeah, I'll sound totally old right now. My kids love the Beatles, uh-huh. and so we listen when we get in the car, and it's all you know, it's all the kids. You know, they they want to. To listen to the Beatles channel on XM. And so we just put it on and it's like, you're constantly reminded of just how incredible those songs were actually written, you know? Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't really need a bunch of polishing. They just, but that just, that was a, a bonus, you know, Yeah. that they were polished so well, you know? Well, yeah. And you hear stories about them writing and they worked on it. It was a, it was a craft to them. They didn't just, Oh, I've got something neat. You know, they, they worked, you know, they worked yeah. those melodies and worked that stuff and they, they polished and polished, you know, you know, before anyone heard it, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
talk, talk about puzzle pieces, you know, they, everything fit perfectly. Everything made sense. Everything was there for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just great. But, so lyrically, like when you get up to the mic to sing it, is it done or do you have it all done and stuff? Or are you one that's still tweaking right up until you're tracking? Yeah. I mean, for, for, like the, the nuts and bolts might be there, but I always like, I, I was listening to, and I won't remember the name of it, but it was a, a screenwriter slash director. And he was saying, not only do the words need to mean something, you know, in a dialogue for, a, you know, for film, Mm-hmm. But they need to sound cool too. They need to sound good. They need to roll off the tongue well. And you know, for us, it's it's the same. But they need to be. They need to rhythmically work. They need to be saying something, of course. You know, wh- whatever you're trying to get across. But they need to sound good. You know, words need to sound good. You know, there are some words that just you can't make sound good. Right. You know? <laughs> like I don't know, banana or something. You know. <laughs> You just like, there's just some words that just don't sound right, you know? And so um, I'll get up to the microphone to, to answer your question. You know, it's like, I'll have written something and I'll go up there and try to sing it. And like, that, that just is stinking up this whole room. It just sounds so dumb, you know? <laughs> and so with a couple of tweaks, you know, and maybe a good old fashioned, you know, thesaurus or something. Right. Um, what's another word for, hey, Siri, what's another? <laughs> hey Siri, what rhymes with orange? You know, right? I always have my my dictionary rhyming thing uh, app on my phone. It's just right. a constant, uh, you know, eh, technology. You know, it's, it, it's use it, use it if you have it. It's funny. Um, I on that subject, I was just going through like boxes because you know we're moving, and so I'm going through these boxes, and there's like a ton of boxes, and they all have you know the little. Um, you know, loose leaf, you know, or like pages, you know, just like tons and tons and tons of lyrics. And er every couple of those books down below is a dictionary of some sort that I must have bought like a little crappy dictionary on the road or something. This is before internet and Uh smartphones and stuff like that. I must own, you know, 25 dictionaries and a bunch of like rhyming dictionaries and just all kinds of weird, you know, helpful books and stuff. And they're just taking up space and nobody wants them. And so I'm just like going to the Salvation Army and donating all these funny little sources. And you can just see people like going, well, what's that? You know, it's a, it's a book. Uh, well, you should autograph them and sell them on eBay. <laughs> this was used to get me, get me through Astro Lounge. <laughs> exactly. I, I, this one was, I used for all star. <laughs> yeah. You could just like underline all the words from all star in it. Since it's me. <laughs> yeah. I used it for all star. Right. <laughs> These songs don't write themselves, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so they, so most of these songs start in your head before mm-hmm. you get to an instrument. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So once you get to that instrument, is it usually a guitar or a, or a keyboard or it's, it's <laughs> always a guitar. You know, oh, okay. I've, I I don't know what I I I have keyboards and I have pianos and stuff like that in my house and I don't know what it is, man. My brain doesn't work. You know, it's like I can teach myself music songs. You know, like pretty mm-hmm. good songs. I'll forget it the next day. Totally forget it. I don't understand what it's supposed to look like. 
my, my fingers, you know what I mean? I don't like the shapes are so foreign, you know, then from guitar that it just doesn't make sense to me. So interesting with the, with the help of pro tools, I'm a great piano player. Put it that way. <laughs> Aren't we all exactly. <laughs> Thank God for quantize. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So have you ever, uh, have you done writing in Nashville? I did. Um, a couple times I went out there and like, you know, got with some songwriters and stuff and, you know, it, I love, I mean, Nashville is full of like great people too. Everyone's super nice and friendly and everything, but I just, I didn't really, it was towards the end of my co-songwriting phase, which is only a couple of years ago. And so I don't think I would, I don't, I think it was my fault that it didn't work. You know, mm. I felt, I felt out of, out of place. Um, I felt like I was the guy from, from Hollywood coming in Nashville to try to make some money. And I didn't, I, it was just me. They were totally welcoming and friendly and, and great people and everything. I think I just had like this weird thing that I just felt like I shouldn't be there. And so interesting. I didn't feel like I deserved to, to be in a room with some of these people. I think is really what it was. Oh, and, wow. and I'm saying that totally honestly and seriously, I was just like, there are probably so many great songwriters that want to be sitting in here and I'm just taking up space. And I don't think I, I, I need to go back to LA where I belong and hash it out with those guys. Cause you know, <laughs> that's, that's my turf. Yeah. You know? Right. So. Yeah. It's, and it's, it feels different. I've not, I haven't really delved into Nashville, but I know a ton of people that do. And it, it seems a very different type of vibe. It's a very factory kind of, and they write so many songs, you know, I mean, I can't imagine what one day, how many songs come out of, or are written, you know, turds, as you say, but some of them, you know, but, uh, it's a fact that, that, that does, you just reminded me that I do remember that when I did go there, it was like, okay, you, this session is going to start at 11 o'clock and it's going to end promptly at two. You're going to have an hour. And then at three, you're going to go until six and then you're going to go have dinner. And then at seven, it was like these like kind of. Uh, boxes, you know, and if the song wasn't done too bad, you're it's, it's done. You know what I mean? And I didn't really like that. You know, it's like, it's different in Los Angeles, as you know, it's like you go someplace, you know, you know, you're sitting in a room with a bunch of people and you're writing and you're, you're trying ideas, you're trying it, you're trying it. You might go have dinner, you come back, you try it, you record it, you put it, it's done. And it's either good or bad, but you do it until it's done. You know, let's talk about, uh, the defector for a second. Cause like I said, I was a huge fan. Did, did you produce that yourself? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I had a studio in Santa Cruz and it was basically just a, a project studio from a personal studio. I didn't like rent it out to people or anything. It was just for me and the, my friends and the bands that I was in in Santa Cruz and stuff. And I had just quit smash mouth. This is a 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to make a record using p- some songs that were, that either were re- turned down by the singer or just some stuff, you know, ideas that were turned down or whatever. And like, I want to finish these songs, realize them, record them myself and put it out, put a full album out, the album that I want to make, not the one that Interscope wanted us to make or that the lead singer or you know, people wanted us to make, I just wanted to make a record right? with, with no 
with no rules, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, your buddy Mitch Marine plays on that album. He did all the drums on that record. For the, well, yeah, for the most part, I think he did. He did all of them except for maybe like one song or something. But cool. I think it probably took about six months or something like that to do it. And I just recorded it in my studio and mixed it. And then I had it mastered professionally and got a little record deal with Bar None. You remember Bar None? I've heard of it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's still around. It's like, I mean, it's bands like They Might Be Giants. And, oh, God, I love them. You know, like some of those yeah, kind of... That's, that's why I know it. Yeah. Bizarro, bizarro bands, yeah. You know, it was basically... It's kind of like if you go to small claims court and you win. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean you're going to get a bunch of money. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, up to you, it's up to you to actually enforce you know, that. And so in this case, it was actually up to me to like get in a van and go tour and like let people know that, you know, this old dude from Smash Mouth is, has a record out, you know? (laughs) And I was like, ah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be glad that I did it. And I I really am glad that I did it. Yeah. And it must've been cathartic just being able to just be in control and like do it your way. You know, you don't have to, and it's a, it's a, Great record. Just, I mean, as far as everything you were talking about is, you know, melodically and, and the places that it goes, it's just like, it feels like you're finally like, I'm free. Let's go <laughs> everywhere. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I recorded the whole album naked. So <laughs> it, that, that was great. I didn't have to wear a, a suit. How did you know? Uh, that's what I was picturing in my head. That's weird. Because I can see, <laughs> I can see your face and you're turning red. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also it seems to me i mean obviously one of them's glaringly obvious but there's songs about your wife on this this record as well Mm -hmm. did you meet her before this or during this uh before yeah i mean there there's a song that called gina marie which is her name um yeah i mean a lot of the songs are have her in mind you know because that's that that was a new relationship and I was out of Smash Mouth and I was like in love and we were starting a, a life, you know? And so, yeah, a lot of the songs were that. Yeah. It, bring, it brings a special vibe to the record. I feel like it just feels sincere. Maybe it's because I've met her and she's lovely. And Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, that, there, there was actually, now that I remember, um, the songwriting process for that record was I, I was living in Santa Cruz and I lived sort of up in the mountains and my studio was down by the beach. And I would get in my car and I would be driving down the hill and whatever, if something came into my head, it it determined whether I turned left or right in my car. And if I, if something was in my head and I needed to think about it more, I would turn right, which meant I would go north on highway one and just drive all the way up the coast, you know, with, with the ocean on my left side and the mountains on my right. And I wouldn't go back down to that studio until I had a very, very solid song idea. And as soon as I did, I'd hang a Yui and go back down there and go directly to my studio and just start recording. And Gina would, you know, she would know at like, you know, 11 o'clock that night, you know, I'd be like, I'm not coming home. I got (laughs) something here, you know. (laughs) Fortunately, she was very uh, supportive, you know. Right. So what's the secret door to your heart? Don't you think that I should stay? 
Does the smog talk to you too? I've always liked the shade of blue. The city of angels has got going down. Now it's time for dream, but I see you when I sleep. There I You hate your name But you can't mean what you say Yeah, Gina Marie, obviously written for her, and uh, uh, this is good, right? Yeah, yep. and in fact, that was that was basically, you know, I mean, that song's has like a lot of you know real things that happened. You know, like when I met her, we were just friends, you know, for the longest time because neither of us really knew. Um, you know, I had just got out of a long relationship with a, an ex-wife, and so. I'm like, I don't even know how to do this anymore, you know? <laughs> and so I guess I'll just be buddies with this girl because she likes all the same stuff I do, like weird movies. And she likes The Cure and The Smiths and mm-hmm. all this like kind of music that I grew up listening to. And, and, um, and I kept asking that question, like, this is, this is kind of happening, right? Like, do I love this girl? Or, you know, mm-hmm. right? Don't, you know, it was like basically a question to myself. And so, yeah, that's where that song came from. on the stove here We've had enough of that Ain't trying to reinvent the wheel Just one that don't go flat And I knew this was it when she put on the Smiths and just drove And your wife sings as well. Yeah, and she sings. We have a band called The Selectrics, um, kind of a Nancy Sinatra, you know, 60s girl band thing. Right. And, uh, and um, we started by just doing holiday music, you know. Yeah, um, I've heard we, the Christmas record. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, we, we just love holiday. I mean, holiday music is so fun and quirky and you can make it creepy and it's just fun. And so, um, 
we started doing that. And then she wanted to do, she wanted to have her own legitimate original album. And so, um, so we did that and we're constantly working on stuff, but we're very, with that project, we're just, we're both very, um, we're perfectionists when it comes to that sort of thing. And especially a husband and wife thing, it's, it's touchy, it's tricky, you know? Yeah. And so we both, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you can't talk to your wife like you would a normal singer in a session, you know, right. it, it gets tricky. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, you know, you really have to, I don't like to be careful, you know, I, you know, when I'm speaking with someone I'm working with, you know, mm-hmm. and there's just a, a few different degrees of careful that you have to be when, you know, when you're working with your significant person, you know? Right. So. I'm, I actually, I'm much more proud of that Selectrix album than, than Defector. I think that that came out a lot more what I wanted to do, you know, to have someone else sing for one thing, you know, I'm, I mean, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. And so it's like, I do it because I don't know how to explain to people sometimes how to, what to do, you know? Right. You have a, you have a great voice. Thank you for saying that. I totally disagree. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's just more of like inflections and things like that, that you just can't explain to somebody. You just have to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I just have to live with what, what's there, you know, but. Right. Um, I was working with um, a guy named Josh Moran and we had a band called the Sundrones or just Sundrones. Mm-hmm. And that was another project that I just totally loved, you know, writing for and like writing. I, he was a primary songwriter of that band, but his voice is just like insane. It's so good. It was like my favorite voice ever. And like, that was one of the, one of the other times that I really, really enjoyed writing for someone else to, to sing stuff, you know, yeah, or, or accompany somebody, you know, where I just felt like, man, I like, this just feels perfect to me, you know? Right. And, um, you know, he's still doing stuff and we still do stuff together sometimes and stuff. But, uh, and we actually got a record deal with Island and awesome. it's just, it's just kind of flopped. It just wasn't the right mm-hmm. time in, in this guy's life to, to be famous, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it happens. Yeah. I feel like the game that you play is so different than the one I do. Cause I'm a hired gun, you know, 99.9% of the time. And, 
I'm looking for a job, you know, whereas you're kind of rolling the dice a lot, you know, and the payoff much bigger, but you also, it's, you're taking the risk, you know, and, yeah. uh, it's such an interesting thing to me. Cause I started out sort of being in bands in high school and whatever. And I was just like, I got so fed up just dealing with people <laughs> that I was like, I just want to go. I want to get paid. I want to play my bass, sing a song, get paid, go home. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good way to be, you know, it's like, it's simple and yeah, you don't have to deal with the, it, the weird things that happen within bands. I mean, you still do, yeah. but you're, it's out of your hands in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you said, if you just show up and do your job well, you, everything will be fine. Right. You know? Yeah. But I do kind of, it's always grass is greener at the same time. Cause I do sit, you know, you do so many different, projects that you can be creatively involved in whereas i don't have a lot of say most of the time i just go and you know i'm an assembly line worker essentially you know right Um, well i mean you know i mean what i do now though like scoring and stuff like that doing things for film and tv i i pretty much have nothing but a bunch of bosses telling me what to do and that it sucks or that you know, nah, do it this way. Nah, the director wants this, but the supervisor wants this, but this guy wants that. But it's pretty difficult, you know? And um, I do sometimes want to just go back to being in a band because sometimes it's actually easier, you know, dealing with personalities within a band than Mm -hmm. a bunch of um, uh, adults in suits arguing over art. You know, it, right. you know what I mean? It's yeah. just weird. Yeah. I also listened to Closer, which is a, a, a single. It's from the movie Kissing Booth 2. When you get the call to do something like that, how does that kind of go down? Do you, do you pick from songs that you've already written or are you always kind of writing specifically to the phone call? Right. Well, that song is um, unique in the way that um, the director um, of Kissing Booth, Vince, you know, he, he's very musical and he's very into the eighties. And so anytime I do things with him, we speak the same, same language. And that song closer was basically, you know, he's like, I need a song that's like, that does this, that has the elements of this and the elements of that. And I just want it all to be the same. Uh, I, I want you to put it all in a pot and write me a song that fits this scene that, has the emotion that it needs and this and that. And so, you know, with him, he's very, very particular. And so um, I went back to the drawing board many times before Closer was actually realized and finished. And in fact, the version that you hear um, that, I, that I released myself isn't uh, the same version that's in the movie because uh-huh. we, of course, didn't, didn't agree on every single thing that he was asking me to do. And so... Once I gave him what he wanted for the film, I went back and unchopped it up the way I had it and went, okay, this is how I would do it. And that's, what I, that's how I released that one. So, but at the same time, the song wouldn't exist if, if uh, that movie didn't hire me to do music for it. You know? Right. And so when you wrote the first, you're just sending him a demo or do you kind of produce it a lot before you send him the first depends you know it's like some of the songs in the kissing booth movies um they needed songs while they were filming it so they could film to it you know uh-huh. get so 
it's, oh, it's, and that's that's not normal. Nor- normally, you're the last person to be added to the mix as the musician or the composer. Mm-hmm. And um, Vince, like I said, you know, he's very like he he wants the song playing while he's shooting sometimes, you know. And right. so some of those things are like that, and then they're sort of like reconfigurated later and configured, configured, configured. <laughs> that's it's a new brand new word. There you go. Um, <laughs> you're a lyricist. You're not. You're making words. That's great. <laughs> um, uh, now I can't remember the question. I, I I just wonder how finished these things are when you first send them, um, in, in general, or or is it just a demo and you just a demo? Yeah, and you you it, cut it up and get it all right before you work on that final production yeah i mean if if they're sending me stuff that's already too that you know the picture's already locked and whatever you know they'll send me a clip and they'll say the song the beat everything has to land on these shots and these cues Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of um you know there's a lot of markers and there's a you know a schematic to it i guess or something you know right so that's that's where it gets difficult you know because you're doing tempo changes and you're right in the middle of a verse and all of a sudden you have to do something to, because the scene changes and they really want something to happen there. And so you're kind of making it up a little bit as you go. And I know in Smash Mouth, like Smash Mouth had, that was another thing that they did that was, I, I don't know, new, but it was, you had so many movie placements right off the bat. Yeah. Do you remember, remember back then? It's like, it was very uncool to let your songs go to a commercial or a film or something like that, especially a commercial. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we did not. <laughs> I had, the, I had still had the punk rock ethic where, you know, we're never going to sell out, you know? Right. But right. as soon as we did, you know, like I think of, I think of the Shrek or something like that. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that check showed up in the mail, I went, Oh, <laughs> I, can buy, I could buy something with that money, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'll start another punk band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but did that help you sort of get in with the films that you do now or like help your reputation? Because you kind of started off making music for TV and film, you know, film at least. Definitely. You know, I, I still have, you know, a lot of the relationships from, from those days. You know, I still talk to a lot of the people that were behind, you know, some of that success, you know, with Smash Mouth, the Shreks and the, yeah, you know. Pixar movies and all that stuff. So, so what are you working on now? Um, let's besides, see. Besides traveling, um, so like I do have like a little makeshift studio down here in this in this cold basement. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny because the basement has a fireplace in it, but I can't use it because the the people who own the house are like, yeah, we just bought the house and we don't we haven't had the anything cleaned yet, so I wouldn't I wouldn't put a fire on. You might burn the house down. So, <laughs> So meanwhile, it's kind of cold down here, but, um, so I just did some music for, um, a children's book, which is very odd. Haven't done that one. That's a new one for me. Huh? But yeah, it's like they, somebody wrote this book and they animated it and they hired me to do the music for it. And it was super fun to do. And it's, it somehow naturally just like happened to where I, sent it to them and they went it's perfect thanks and i was like really there's no changes no nothing they're like well can you put a four second intro you know before you know the first you know like when you see the title can you just put like a little i'm like okay 
So I did that quickly and sent it to them. A few minutes later, they're like, done. Thanks. Wow. And so that, that was really cool. Yeah. Ever. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. The book's called In a Pickle and I have no idea when it's coming out or I don't really know too much about it. And so it's an animated thing. So the book turned into an animated series or something or? It's, it's not a series. It's just a, a story. Like if you go on YouTube and, uh-huh. you know, you want to read a story to your kids or you want a story read to them, you know, a lot of people will take old books, like even books from our childhood, you know, do- even Dr. Seuss books, and they've made like short little, you know, not like really heavy duty, great animation, but like they might show the picture and the people move a little bit or something, you know, right. or their mouth. They have like some fake mouth going and, um, and they're telling the story, you know, about whatever it is, but they're like a lot of nighttime stories and things like that. And, uh, these are some friends of ours that we met when we lived in New York and we still do, uh, you know, stuff with them, Gina and I, <clears throat> in fact, right before that I did, I scored an entire film for the same, the person who, who produced or directed this book, um, called diary. And it was my first horror film score. Whoa, cool. So, and that's how it's called Diary, and it's spelled D I E R Y. Diary. Huh? Get it? <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's cool. I'll have to check that out. That's, that's like a whole other world right there because then it's like sound effects and foley yeah. almost, you know, right? It's, it's a lot of fun, I yeah. tell you. I, I, I recommend just doing it for fun if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you enjoy the film scoring thing? More than writing pop songs, or is it all just goes hand in hand? Totally. I mean, at this point, yeah, I, I like. I would rather score film yeah. or or TV or do cues for Netflix movies or whatever comes my way that sounds fun that will have a picture to it. You know, I, I it's just much more fulfilling to me. Right. So, I mean, because I mean, you've you've already if you've already done the other thing, you know, you've had song on the radio or you've been in bands and you know you know that it's sort of like it comes and goes and um i don't know i just i like i like hearing music that i've done put to picture it's it's just amazing to me well man thank you so much for uh hanging out i've uh you're one of my favorite songwriters oh man it's a really pleasure you know it's a pleasure to know you we haven't known each other that long but we did start a song and we we should try to get back to that i was listening to that the other day that's that that song okay there there must be there's this thing called i don't know like engram or something like that every time i go to do the dishes a certain song will come into my head right Mm -hmm. but every time i do a certain element of doing those dishes happy and plain comes into my mind every time Oh, every single time so i think what that is is like i was doing the dishes at my house while we were working on that song and i must have been humming that song or something because every time i do something with the it's the way i put my silverware in like some of them i put up and some of them i put down uh as a guitar player you know never put your knives facing straight up you know <laughs> cut your finger off right. and so that, for some reason the pre-chorus always comes into my head and I just like, then this whole song comes and I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> so. well, then we got to get it done and market it as the dishwashing song. 
it's it's a catchy number, my friend. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks again for staying up late and um, hanging out. And and thanks for having me. You know, giving of your knowledge. You know, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. Always good to talk to you, and and it's good to actually see your face. We haven't seen each other in a while. I know, I know. We'll come home. Let's. Uh, well, don't come home. It's it's a mess over here. <laughs> we'll, well see in a few months once yeah. this vaccine kicks in, and and who knows what's going to happen. You know. Yeah. Or well, maybe sure. I'll come uh, out in Atlanta. That'd be great. You should. <laughs> yeah. And on that, you know, every I hope everyone stays well and healthy and safe and. Happy holidays to y'all. Cool. You too, man. Well, that was awesome. And um, I thought it was really interesting when we were talking about the, um, how many songs you got to write to get a good song. There's a, um, a great songwriter and speaker named Ralph Murphy, and he had broken down songwriting to a science. And uh, I found one of his lectures on YouTube and then I eventually saw him speak at a songwriting convention before he passed away in 2019. And he had studied the numbers so much that he had kept track of what tempos were currently used on hit songs and what subject matter and like what keys uh, that, that they were in. And, um, and it was really fascinating. But the thing that stuck with me the most uh, was when he talked about how many songs he would write in a year. And he called it writing through the ordinary to get to the good. And he said he would write 100 songs a year. He'd demo about 40. He'd get six cuts and have a hit every third year. So I tried to use that as a template one year. And uh, it just, it proved to be pretty impossible unless, you know, I wasn't a full-time working, you know, songwriter. But it ends up being a lot of time and a lot of songs. It's just interesting. It's really hard to look in the mirror sometimes and... Songwriting is one of those things that if you're if you're going to be good at it and you're going to have success at it, you really got to take a hard look at at yourself and what you're putting out and not be so emotionally attached to everything because most of the stuff that you're going to write is not going to be great. And if you accept that and um keep writing, then you'll you know the great ones will rise to the top. Mose Wright was a guitar manufacturer based in Bakersfield, California from the 50s all the way up to the 90s. And one of their more famous models was designed for the band The Ventures, who had a hit called Walk Don't Run, although I believe that song was recorded on a Fender Jazzmaster. And we talked about flat-wound strings versus round-wound strings, and guitar strings are basically made by wrapping material around an inner core of wire. And round-wound guitar strings use a round external wire to wrap around the inner wire core, which is more common and has a brighter sound than flat wound guitar strings, which use a flat tape-like wire. They feel completely smooth to the touch and have a little bit darker sound. A bass six is a six string bass that's tuned an octave below a guitar. And I had never seen one before going over to Greg's studio and then I played one for the first time on the demo of the song that we're working on called Happy and Plain that he mentioned. And they're super cool. It was really fun. So I thought since it's getting close to the holidays, I would just play us out with a holiday selection from Greg's band, The Selectrics, because we talked about him and his wife doing Christmas music. So here is some of that Christmas music. So I hope you enjoy it and I hope you had a great time.
Rockstar. Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, with all of our hearts, thank you for listening, and remember, it's all about dreams. <laughs>